0: This is the Best of the Buzzmeter Podcast with Howie Kurtz. It's the Media Buzzmeter with Howard Kurtz. So I just had my AirPods in, and the reason is I was doing a segment on Fox News from the home office. And that's the reason I got the AirPods, because, look, it's bad enough when you're doing things from home, the lighting is not always great. It can be noisy outside. Uh, The camera angles are not ideal, Uh, So the last thing you want is to be sitting there and having, you know, those black wires dangling from your ears as you try to hear what the anchor is saying. Uh, So I got the AirPods for the express purpose of doing home broadcasting. And once I got them, I have to say, you know, they're pretty fabulous for music and I find myself using them a lot. All of which leads me to an item I saw yesterday about a new uh, product from Apple called AirPods Max. And I'll read you the propaganda here. Pods Max combine a custom acoustic design, H1 chips. I have no idea what those are. Advanced software to power computational audio for a breakthrough listening experience. There's a whole bunch of other jargon in here. They're over-the-ear headphones as opposed to these little things that you stick in your ear. But the reason it's attracting a lot of attention and a lot of criticism is the price tag is $550. That's far more than the most expensive uh, headphones from Bose or uh, Sony. And I'm thinking, all right, unless you're somebody who's got so much money that you absolutely, positively don't care, uh, what even AirPods, as I say, I like AirPods, uh, could be uh, worth that kind of big bucks. And judging by from the reaction on Twitter, a lot of people are like, yeah, hey, I would like really good headphones, but I'm not paying that kind of money. So there's that. Also, have a kind of a a, a public service announcement here about the podcast. Uh, A deal was announced yesterday whereby this podcast and all of the podcasts done by Fox News will now be available on Amazon Music. So it's yet another way that you can uh, subscribe to Media Buzzmeter. Uh, you can, you know, you know, have your playlists and all the music you like, from which decades you like, which groups you like, which artists you like, which singer-songwriters you like. And you can also subscribe to the Fox podcast uh, as a way of getting it. Now, I happen to be a subscriber to and a fan of Amazon Music. This is not related to the fact this deal was made before. I uh, There was a pandemic and I had any idea I would ever be doing any of this from home. Uh, I subscribe to Amazon Music. There are other good music services too, Spotify, where you can also get our podcast, by the way. Um, But I find it, you know, it's just got an endless amount of songs on there. I like the interface and the way you can build different lists for yourself. So enough of that, not getting paid to do that. Uh, One more talking uh, point here before we uh, get down to the serious business of the podcast. As you remember, of course, Chris Krebs. He was the uh, former Uh, cybersecurity chief at the Department of Homeland Security until President Trump fired him because Krebs came out and repeatedly said the election was not only fair, but it was secure and there was no evidence of widespread fraud. So he's taken a lot of heat and not just, uh, you know, from the president, but from Trump allies. So he has now filed a suit and he's filed a suit against one of the president's, I guess I would say, informal legal advisors. Joe DeGeneva, a guy I've known for decades, was once upon a time the U.S. attorney uh, for the District of Columbia here uh, and has gone on to a very successful law practice and has become a very, very big booster and often, you know, goes on on Fox or elsewhere and um, supports President Trump. Well, in an appearance not on Fox but on Newsmax, which also was named in this suit, Chris Krebs uh, took issue with something that DeGeneres said, which clearly crossed the line, but I I don't think it's fair to take it literally. Uh, Clearly, he was using hyperbole, but he said, you know, Krebs is terrible. His remarks are treasonous. He should be taken out at dawn at shot and shot. Now, I would not be happy if someone said that about me. So he filed this in Maryland. He said that uh, the Geneva's statements were shockingly irresponsible and dangerous. The Geneva didn't have any comment on the suit. And particularly, Krebs said that because uh, Joe Madis comments uh, in the current climate of political toxicity and instability, which public officials across the country are being targeted with acts of, and threats of violence simply performing their public duties, uh, that's why um, he filed the suit. In terms of naming Newsmax, the network said Jen- Jennifer is not a paid contributor to Newsmax, which has no official ties to him. He just appeared as a guest. And then he has since apologized, that he meant no harm to Krebs. But nevertheless, Krebs has filed this lawsuit. I mean, I don't know that he's going to win the lawsuit, but it's a way of calling attention. And one thing that did catch my attention is when uh, Krebs said that his 10-year-old son had asked him whether or not um, you know, he might be in danger as a result of these comments. So that was in the lawsuit as well. All right. Uh, breaking now, or happening now, as they say, story number one. Last night, the Supreme Court, no surprise to me, but with a single one-sentence order uh, turned down what had to be a kind of a long-shot legal request from Republicans in Pennsylvania to overturn Joe Biden's victory in the state, a state that he won by uh, well over 80 thousand votes. I think it may be as high as 90,000 now after the latest count. Uh, and, of course, a lot of people who support President Trump have felt, well, if he could just get to the Supreme Court, which obviously now has a 6-3 majority, with the addition of Amy Coney Barrett, President Trump's uh, last-minute nominee after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, maybe he would fare better there than in these state Supreme Courts and in some of these federal appeal courts. So Pennsylvania Republicans uh, uh, asked the Justice to take this up, and as is, is, is routine— when none of the justices dissents and there's no need to issue written ruling, they just say, hey, we're not taking the case, one sentence. And there was no public dissent by anybody. New York Times saying it was a major setback for Trump and his allies, you think. Uh, failed to attract even a whisper of dissent in the court's first ruling on a challenge to the outcome of the election. Now, the track record, uh, let's just say not terribly encouraging for the president's side. Trump and his allies, people like um, Sidney Powell, have lost about 50 challenges to the presidential election over the past five weeks. Judges in at least eight states have repeatedly rejected uh, what they regarded as unproven claims, that mail-in ballots were improperly set out, that absentee ballots were wrongly counted, that poll observers weren't given proper access, and in the most far-fetched, in my view, that foreign power somehow hacked into I manipulated voting machines. In none of those states, none of these states, uh, has uh, Trump and his campaign and his allies come even close to overturning a single state election, even if they had. And there's a new effort now in Georgia. Some people are saying, well, that's a more serious fact-based claim. Well, we'll see. But even if he overturns the results in Georgia, you know, he still has to win two more states. Pennsylvania would be one of them. And then he'd have to win, you know, Colorado and or Nevada or, or Michigan or one of the other states. So it's basically going nowhere fast legally. There's no other way to put it. When the Supreme Court blows you off in a single sentence, uh, that tells you something. And also last night, the Arizona Supreme Court unanimously rejected a challenge to the vote in that state. And the quote is uh, from the decision uh, that the Trump uh, team failed to present any evidence of misconduct, illegal votes, or that Biden electors did not, in fact, receive the highest number of votes for office, let alone establish any degree of fraud or a sufficient error rate that would undermine the certainty of the election results. Now there's an effort by uh, Texas to, get a, to challenge the results in other states. Obviously, Texas not in dispute. And Ted Cruz has said, well, he, you know, Cruz, who is an accomplished lawyer, says he'll argue the case. um, But I don't think that that is very likely to be taken up by SCOTUS at all. And in this other case, uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled, and this is the thing that didn't make it, uh, didn't warrant Supreme Court review, U.S. Supreme Court review. Pennsylvania's highest court ruled against the plaintiffs, led by Republican Congressman Mike Kelly saying, you know what, they're challenging the way in which Pennsylvania counts um, mail-in ballots. But the law that set that in motion was actually passed more than a year ago. So in legal language, petitioners failed to act with due diligence in presenting their instant claim. Equally clear is the substantial prejudice arising from petitioners' failure to institute promptly a facial challenge to the mail-in voting statutory scheme. Anyway, it's, it's a long-winded way of saying that you can't come in now after two different elections, the primaries last spring and the general election, and challenge a law, according to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, that was passed a year ago. You had to challenge it at the time. Now, as far as the U.S. Supreme Court, one of the reasons, one perhaps many reasons, that SCOTUS didn't take this case, um, is that it turns on a matter of state law, and the Supreme Court is reluctant to intervene on cases that don't present some constitutional challenge if they turn only on a matter of state law. Uh, In opposing uh, the state of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in opposing a Supreme Court review of this state ruling said that the, the, the high court was being asked to undertake one of the most dramatic, disruptive invocations of judicial power in the history of the republic. No court has ever issued an order nullifying a governor's certification of presidential election results. Well, President Trump has also been active on Twitter this morning. One uh, tweet just has the hashtag overturn. That gives you an idea of where things stand. And another tweet, uh, the president said, we will soon be learning about the word courage and saving our country. I received hundreds of thousands of legal votes, more in all the swing states than did my opponent. All data taken after the vote says it was impossible for me to lose unless fixed. And then it says, and then the other one says overturned. Uh, Look, of all the arguments that the Trump team has made, the one I find least persuasive, but which President Trump seems to be making more and more, is that it was impossible for Joe Biden to get 80 million votes. It's just not possible. And here are the algorithms and reasons why it's not possible. You got more votes than Obama. You got more votes than Hillary. But the turnout was immense. 150 million people voted, many of them by mail, in this election. So Trump himself got more than 74 million votes as opposed to the 62 million he got in 2016. So, of course, Joe Biden, as the winner, popular vote winner by about 7 million votes, um, did better than Democrats recently have done because the turnout was so massive, because there was so much intense interest in this election and because it became so much easier to vote. And you could say, well, this favored the Democrats, but certainly there are states in which Republicans Uh, have done very well under mail balloting. But of course, with Trump spending months saying mail balloting is crooked and your vote's not gonna be counted, he may well have discouraged many Republicans from doing anything other than showing up in person on November 3rd. Which brings me to story number two, and that is some pretty worrisome signs out there that the strong rhetoric that the president is using is really whipping people up to the point that I am starting to get worried and other people are starting to get worried that some people may take this too far beyond the courtrooms, for example, beyond political rhetoric and all of that. Um, So the New York Times uh, has a pretty scorching news story in this saying that Trump's baseless conspiracy theories about voting for it had devolved into an exercise in delegitimizing the election results. And the rhetoric is accelerating among his most fervent allies. This has prompted outrage among Trump loyalists and led to behavior that Democrats and even some Republicans say has become dangerous. One of those Republicans, is Mitt Romney, who says this is madness. That's the word that Senator Romney used uh, for Trump to continue to challenge, both rhetorically and legally, the election results. So some of the incidents you've probably heard about, for example, uh, Trump supporters, some of them armed, and this would be pretty unnerving if it was your house, gathered outside the home of Michigan's Democratic Secretary of State over the weekend to protest. Uh, Cynthia Johnson, a Michigan state rep, uh, says her voicemail filled up with death threats. Georgia election officials, and these are mostly Republicans, as I've talked about in President Attacking Republican Governor Brian Kemp there, say they've received threats of violence, and some Georgia Republican officials have spoken out strongly about that. The Republican Party of Arizona on Twitter, this is just bizarro land, has twice called for supporters of the president to be willing to, quote, die for something or give my life for this fight. Uh, That's pretty incendiary. Rhetoric. Ann Jacobs, she's the chair of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. This is just sort of a roundup of the people in different states, and maybe, you know, that doesn't all get national attention. You haven't heard about all this. People on Twitter, says Ann Jacobs, have posted photographs of my house. She alerted the police and her neighbors to the constant threats. She said another message mentioned her children and said, I've heard you'll have quite a crowd of patriots showing up at your door. Meanwhile, Trump, as you know, has contacted numerous Republican state officials. He did that uh, yesterday in the third state that he's done it in, Pennsylvania being the latest state, pressing them to help him overturn the election, the election he clearly lost, as the New York Times puts it. He subjected others to repeated public shamings, lambasting governors to take action they are not legally allowed to take to keep Trump in power. I mean, that's true with Governor Kemp in uh, Georgia, Republican governor saying he, he doesn't legally have the power to call a special session of the state legislature to overturn The results that resulted in a Biden victory, there have been several recounts there now in the state of Georgia. So this Times piece goes on to say that Trump supporters have flooded the voicemails and cell phones and inboxes of dozens of elected officials around the country. Now look, there's a line here between being perfectly, it's perfectly legitimate to call, write or text uh, your elected representatives to say, I don't like what's happening. I think there should be a recount. I don't think this election was fair. You have that right under the First Amendment as an American citizen. But when it crosses the line into people showing up at elected officials' houses, some of them with guns, Uh, Jennifer O'Mara, she's a Democratic state rep in Pennsylvania. They're getting more angry, and we've been getting emails all the time, all hours of the day and night. A lot of the calls are saying we won't be forgetting. Jocelyn Benson, she's the secretary of state in Michigan. Uh, She said she just finished putting up Christmas decorations with her four year old son when she heard dozens of Trump supporters shouting outside her home. I mentioned this earlier. Some chanted stop the steal, demanding an audit of Michigan's election results, which, by the way, show Biden winning by about one hundred and fifty four thousand votes. Here's another Democratic state rep in Pennsylvania, Malcolm Kenyatta said he received dozens of emails every day. It's a bit more pronounced when you're black and queer like I am, he's quoted as saying, and they go down the rabbit hole of parroting all the nastiness and vitriol that we see from the president all the time. Okay, obviously he's a partisan Democrat, but still. Um, Darren Camilleri, Democratic state rep in Michigan, said he received one email that read, be prepared to take your last meal. And another that said, we're looking forward to bring back firing squads. Well, I hope this is just people. And look, some of this, you know, the police should get involved. And maybe some of these people need police protection because this is scary stuff, folks. I mean, whether you agree or disagree with the stolen election, will you like the president, don't like the president, this is getting kind of unnerving is the best word I can come up with. Frightening, maybe. And um, I'm not blaming it all on Trump because sometimes supporters of a politician does things that they're not asking for. But now that Trump is descending into courage and overturned and so forth, um, I'm just worried that something may happen. Uh, that, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a tinderbox of a situation. So naturally I'm worried and I do think this is worthy of media attention. Don't go anywhere. More buzzmeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, moving on to story number three. The Joe Biden starting to fill in his cabinet. Uh, It was leaked, I guess, the day before. And today he's going to officially uh, say that he is nominating retired General Lloyd Austin uh, to be his secretary of defense. Here's Politico's piece. If Joe Biden's expecting senators to focus on the historic nature of his nominee, because Austin would be the first African-American to run the Pentagon, he might be in for a rude shock. Uh, General Austin, described here as an imposing West Point graduate and devout Catholic, is expected to face tough questions about his views on numerous pressing global issues, from China to climate change that go beyond the military realm, and with which he has far less experience on little public record. Uh, senators at his confirmation hearing will grill him about his tenure as the top commander in the Middle East and his business ties in civilian life. And then you get to this waiver thing, like, oh, some Democrats are upset because... Uh, Biden's secretary of defense would need a waiver because there's this rule, this law, that I don't even think should exist, that if you haven't been retired as a general or as a military officer for more than seven years, you can't be secretary of defense unless you get a waiver. Well, Mattis got a waiver under Trump and the guy's been out for four years. Why seven years? Why not two years? Why not 10 years? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I just think it's a stupid rule. Uh, Let me find here. uh, Austin's selection, like many of uh, Biden's top picks, appear to have been based heavily on his deep personal connection with the president-elect. Biden worked with him in the Obama administration. He was also friends with Beau Biden, uh, the president-elect's late son. Uh, Biden has taken this seriously enough that he wrote a piece for The Atlantic about why he picked Lloyd Austin. Fact is, Austin's many strength and intimate knowledge of the Defense Department and our government are uniquely matched to the challenges and crises we face. So here's the thing, I don't, again, you know, to me this um, waiver thing is a complete non-issue because already you hear, I have a quote here somewhere, let me see, um, you have at least uh, one or more Democrats saying, well, they gave a waiver to Jim Mattis and then the black guy comes along and he can't get a waiver? I don't think so. So the race card has come up. Um, And look, this guy ran U.S. Central Command from 2013 to 2016. He was a battlefield commander. So he obviously has a lot of experience uh, in places like Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria, uh, where President Trump has already started this withdrawal process, which Biden may continue, or maybe he'll want to keep more troops there. I don't know. But to say, well, he doesn't really know anything about China, you know, you can't have any single person— be the nominee for Secretary of Defense, who's familiar with, who has deep work experience with every single trouble spot in the world. There are going to be some areas they don't know as much about. What you do expect is that they understand the military, that they can put together a good team uh, to compensate for their lack of knowledge. So I'd rather have somebody who knows about Iraq and Afghanistan. Those are the big trouble spots. Am I worried about military and diplomatic threats from China? Sure. But again, it, it seems to me, look, the Senate's entitled to do its advising consent thing. Anybody who's going to run the Pentagon, even if you're a retired general, as Lloyd Austin is, should get tough grilling. All these questions should go up. We should know what that person thinks. But by the way, you know, you do, it's really important who runs the Pentagon, but you do serve at the pleasure of the president. the president decides he doesn't like your policies or your approach, you're out. When Trump got fed up with Jim Mattis, he showed him the door. That's the way this works. And continuing in this vein, story number four, other cabinet picks, uh, President-elect Joe Biden. This all seems to leak in advance before they do the foreign press conference. Uh, Congresswoman Marsha Fudge of Ohio will be the HUD secretary, making her the second black person to be picked for the Biden cabinet. I don't think that's a coincidence, given uh, the pressure he's on to have a diverse cabinet. She had wanted to be agriculture secretary. That didn't work out. They picked her for HUD, which is traditionally, not always, but, you know, you have Ben Carson there now, a lot of the nominees, a lot of the people who have run HUD, it so happens because it deals with matters of urban poverty, uh, have been blacks, but not all of them. Um, And so it turns out that she's going to get HUD if she's approved, and Biden is going to name Tom Vilsack as Agriculture Secretary. Now, there's a friendship that goes back a long ways. He's the former Iowa governor. And for all eight years of the Obama-Biden administration, Vilsack was Agriculture Secretary. So he's coming back now, or will, if he's confirmed, to have the same job that he held for eight years under Obama. You know, when people say, uh, oh, he's going to be a third Obama term. Well, something like this would sort of confirm this. But what cracks me up about this is, uh, as somebody who used to, for a living, cover a lot of these departments and agencies and regulatory agencies. Uh, In fact, I covered HUD once. It was one of my earlier jobs in Washington. And it's a challenging beat to cover, but it didn't didn't get much media attention until there was a huge federal scandal there. And then, of course, it got lots of attention. Um, Is that when you're named to to run HUD or agriculture or interior or some of the sort of second-tier cabinet jobs, the most attention you ever get is when you're announced and then there are these pieces is so and so up to the job and what's the background Do they have experience and then the press pretty much ignores you for four years if you're if you're the agriculture secretary the interior secretary, the hud secretary unless there's a scandal or some big big controversy on your watch you know it's just those, compared to treasury state defense justice uh those departments just don't get a hell a whole hell of a lot of coverage um, oh this is interesting and this is in a piece Uh, From the Washington Post, Vilsack's planned nomination followed efforts by black allies of Biden to derail the former governor. Apparently, civil rights leaders initially backed Fudge for the agriculture job. um, And some also opposed Vilsack saying he had been insensitive to a black employee during his earlier time as ag secretary. Um, I I don't know if that's true or not, but it wasn't a big enough story that I even remember it. Uh, In any event, I think that was used, obviously, to try to get the job for Fudge, but Fudge probably the Congresswoman will be going into the Biden cabinet. And finally, story number five. You know, people go into journalism, uh, particularly those who don't aren't going to appear on TV and are just, you know, going to be sort of newspaper reporters or or online reporters. Um, they do it because they feel strongly and passionately about doing the work. Uh, it's not like becoming an investment banker or a lawyer or a doctor or a lot of other fields. Uh, where you're you're guaranteed to make a big salary. Look, people who rise to the top, particularly in TV, they make plenty of money. Um, and so they want their work to make a difference, to have an impact. Well, here's an example of work having an impact. And this is Nick Kristof, Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist for the New York Times, who is the kind of columnist who, you know, he's a former foreign correspondent. He's traveled around the world. He has his causes. Uh, I've interviewed him. He's a liberal columnist. Uh, and that's fine, but he does um, do a lot of reporting. And he did some reporting on a site whose name is self-explanatory called Pornhub. It's one of the most popular, apparently, uh, pornography sites on the web. Uh, and it wasn't because he wanted to crusade about pornography. What he reported uh, has actually had an impact. Uh, and I'll read you the lead of the story, and you'll understand why. Pornhub will immediately ban unverified content from being posted on its website and ban users from downloading content after claims the site featured clips depicting child sex abuse. Now, you can't get lower, uh, more disgusting, more despicable than anything having to do with children and sexual abuse. You just can't. It's as low as you can possibly go. Uh, Also, Pornhub says it will launch a verification process next year, uh, which I guess is coming up. So, that any user can upload content based on the successful completion of identification protocol. So, it's got to know who you are, and you can't post anything unless you pass some kind of screening by this website. So, Nick Kristoff wrote a column saying Pornhub, if you you do certain searches, Pornhub is allowing rape scenes, not that there's actual rape, but it is certainly actual rape if you're dealing with underage kids, revenge porn, and other explicit materials taken without the participant's consent. Here's what Nick Christoph wrote. The issue is not pornography, but rape. Let's agree that promoting assaults on children or on anyone without consent is unconscionable. Yeah, let's agree on that. He continued in his column that got this uh, reaction. Uh, Its site is infested with rape videos. Uh, It monetizes child rapes, revenge pornography, spy cam videos of women being, of women showering, racist and misogynist content, and footage of women being asphyxiated in plastic bags. Well, this is some pretty heavy-duty stuff. Christoph's op-ed also prompted Visa and MasterCard to investigate their relationship with what is the 10th most visited website on the Internet of any kind. So it shows you that Pornhub is pretty popular. Well, uh, on the one hand, at least Pornhub is taking action. On the other hand, how on earth... Pornhub allowed this stuff to be, to pollute uh, its site. If it's such a big site, it obviously makes a lot of money and obviously has a staff that should have been cracking down on this stuff a long time ago. Um, You know what's getting a lot of attention today before I sign off, and that is the vaccine summit that President Trump, I I had previewed this on yesterday's podcast. So he actually held it. Turned out CNN didn't cover it, MSNBC didn't cover it. Fox News at least covered the president's remarks. And then what happened is it got kind of hijacked uh, or it turned from pandemic to politics when NBC's Peter Alexander uh, asked the president, well, why wasn't anybody from the Biden team invited? And the president said, well, uh, it depends on who's going to be in the next administration. And then he used that to go off and say a a number of things. Uh, For example, Uh, uh, The president actually said an earlier version on television at this televised web uh, conference, what I read to you from the tweet, which is, uh, you know, I won the election by hundreds of thousands of votes. And uh, who's going to have the courage? Is the Supreme Court going to have the courage? Are state legislators going to have the courage to overturn the election? So an event, you know, here's the deal. The president, and understandably so, has gotten a lot of media flack For not saying much or doing much about the pandemic since the election, because he's constantly talking about election fraud, unproven election fraud in most cases. Uh, And so he holds this vaccine summit to kind of, you know, it's kind of a victory lap because you have the Pfizer, Pfizer vaccine just approved, I read today, by the FDA. Moderna is going to be just a few days behind. And they don't cover the summit, at least they don't cover it live. And then, you know, they cover it as a matter of why wasn't Biden invited. That's not the main story. The main story is Americans are going to start getting the vaccine. So it just seems to me that, you know, the media are sort of openly at war with Trump over not conceding the election. They're treating him as a lame duck. Now, that's pretty standard, except that we're in the middle of a pandemic. And while Joe Biden who gave a speech yesterday saying, vowing that in the first 100 days of his administration, we will reach, the United States will reach 100 million doses uh, of the vaccine, which is 50 million people since you have the two dose requirement. Um, That got live coverage, as well as the introduction of the new cabinet members. And I don't have any problem with that. That's traditional to cover the rollout of new cabinet members, but it does seem like uh, the media determined to deny Trump any credit for the success, at least so far, of Operation Warp Speed. So as I said at the outset, you can now get this podcast on Amazon Music or Spotify, and there's also Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts. We'll see everybody tomorrow with more BuzzFeed.